0: Hello, and welcome to Device Week, the weekly podcast from Medtech Insight. I'm editor Reed Miller, and with me today is editor Marion Webb and our UK-based journalist Barnaby Pickering. Marion, this week you wrote a story about the rising trend of SPACs, S-P-A-C also known as Blank Check Companies. And you interviewed several financial experts to really gain some insight into what this could mean for MedTech mergers. What can you tell us about what you learned from that?
1: Yes, sweet. So January started off with a flurry of special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs as they're called. And many of the experts I spoke with for the story believe that this financing vehicle will continue to gain even more steam as the year progresses. So before diving into what it means for MedTech though, I'd like to just give a brief definition of what SPACs are. So basically, SPACs are shell companies that are formed specifically to find a startup, buy it, and then take it public. SPACs really started taking off in 2020, and already last month, there were 40 healthcare focused SPACs with $7.2 billion to deploy, actively looking for a company to merge with. So that is according to statistics from Chardon Investment Bank.
0: So what's the difference between a traditional IPO and a SPAC?
1: Good question. And one that I think is asked quite often. So proponents of SPACs will tell you that they are cheaper than a traditional IPO and they move a lot faster. One reason for that is there is no need for an extensive roadshow that has become standard with an IPO or a late stage crossover round that is also typically done before a traditional IPO. Also, the valuation given to a medtech can be higher for one main reason, and that is because companies that are looking to merge with SPACs are allowed to talk about their finances and make future projections. That is according to EY's Karim Anani, who advises companies on strategic transactions. I spoke with him for that story, and he told me that um, being able to make future projections allows companies to show upward momentum too. SPAC sponsors are often high profile former CEOs of big companies and therefore bring a lot of expertise, experience and critical relationships to the table that can be beneficial for some of these smaller private companies.
0: What do uh, some of the critics say?
1: Well, some people express concern about the sustainability of SPACs and they even include Goldman Sachs Group CEO, David Solomon, who said during a company call last month that the flurry of SPACs is not sustainable in the medium term. Others also foresee a slowing of the pace because there are now hundreds of SPACs out there looking for targets. And of course, there's only a limited number of opportunities for public ready companies. Others express concerns about the financing model itself. So, for instance, a SPAC has two years to find a suitable company to merge with. So, there is a clock that's ticking to make these deals happen. That's among other challenges.
0: All right, well, thanks a lot for that. There's obviously a lot more to these SPACs and you really took a very deep dive into the subject matter and the role of MedTech and talked to a lot of experts. Our listeners can read all about that on our website right now at medtechinsight.com. So thanks so much for doing that, Marian. So Barnaby, this week you covered another startup going by the name of Manus Neurodynamica. Now they're working on tackling the challenge of Parkinson's disease. So what can you tell us about their technology?
2: Yeah, I can tell you quite a lot. So Manus Neurodynamica are a startup based out of Edinburgh, Scotland. Their founder, Rutger Zietzmer, identified that one of the largest challenges presented by Parkinson's is that of diagnosis. Typically, a patient who is exhibiting symptoms will go to their doctor, who will then, if the symptoms are severe enough, refer them to a specialist. Following this, the patient will undergo a DAT scan. A DAT scan is a dopamine transporter scan, and it's essentially a PET scan that's looking specifically at the parts of the brain responsible for the production and distribution of dopamine. When these parts are damaged, you suffer symptoms of Parkinson's. Naturally, the referral process is very subjective, and the DAT scan itself doesn't even pick up every case of Parkinson's.
0: What does Manus offer to help with that?
2: Manus have created their first product, the neuromotor pen. The pen contains a number of highly sensitive sensors, which produce vast quantities of data when the pen is used by a patient. This data is expressed as 30 different biomarkers. A biomarker is simply a biological indicator of disease. Following a decade of research, these 30 biomarkers selected out of a pool of almost 700 act as excellent indicators for Parkinson's. As a result, the pen removes a great deal of subjectivity regarding initial assessment of a patient.
0: All right, well, that's very interesting. So what clinical trial results have they provided so far?
2: Good question. The neuromotor pen has undergone two rounds of clinical evaluation so far. Collecting the results from both rounds, the pen obtained an accuracy of 80% which breaks down into a sensitivity of 95% and a specificity of 63%. This is very strong for such a kind of simple to use tool. And when I spoke to their CEO, Rutger, he said that he was confident that the pen could replace a large number of DAT scans when diagnosing Parkinson's. However, aside from the excellent clinical results, there are much more human positives to take away from this. The pen streamlines diagnosis, making it much faster. As a result, patients will get a diagnosis sooner, giving them more time to plan for their futures and make lifestyle adjustments, such as a Parkinson's diet. The pen also has applications in diagnosing Alzheimer's, other neurological conditions, and even assessing the effectiveness of antipsychotic medication, all through monitoring the motion of a patient. Mannis' pen is already being used by clinicians in Northumbria, and they plan for a full UK release later this year.
0: All right, well, that's a very clever application of that sensor technology. I'm sure we'll hear more about those sorts of useful diagnostics in the near future.
2: I suspect so. Read you've been covering the sales and earnings reports from other big med tech companies, which are getting particular attention right now because everyone wants to know how COVID-19 has impacted device sales. What's the latest on that?
0: Yeah, as we've covered extensively, the pandemic caused hospitals around the world to start postponing as many procedures as they could so they could just focus on their COVID-19 patients. Now, in the first few months of the pandemic, That had a huge impact on sales of devices used in any kind of surgery or intervention. So initially, it was thought that this would mostly just impact things like orthopedic implants because those procedures can usually be postponed without too much risk to the patient. But now it's turned out that potentially life-saving therapies like heart valve replacement were also being postponed. And unfortunately, some of those patients actually did die during the delay. So I've been paying particularly close attention to the market leader in transcatheter valve interventions, and that's Edwards Life Sciences. They have about two-thirds of that market, well ahead of Medtronic and Boston Scientific. They've shown a steady rebound in procedure volume with their Sapien-3 TAVR device since the second quarter. After the initial shock at the start of the pandemic, they've been able to work with hospitals to find ways to get patients who need these devices through the referral pipeline, as they call it, and all the necessary diagnostics to get those procedures on their way and done. So they saw a big bounce back in TAVR sales in the second quarter and in the third quarter, and then they showed a slight growth in sales, even year over year for TAVR in the fourth quarter and in 2020 overall even though it was only about 4% up in the fourth quarter, whereas last year at this time, it had gone up 20% from the previous year. So that gives you an idea that it has slowed down. And Taver is about two thirds of Edward's whole business now. And so they talked a lot about that during their most recent earnings call.
2: So does that mean that they've returned to normal for the most part?
0: They're not quite there. And they said that even though Taver sales were up year over year in the fourth quarter of 2020, it was just oh. percent, And they were slightly down from the third quarter. And they said that they think the first quarter, 2021, is going to be especially tough because as we've seen, there's been a resurgence of COVID in the U.S. and Europe, and a lot of hospitals are going back to having to postpone non-COVID procedures and, and doing all kinds of protocols just to focus on COVID. So it won't be as bad as it was at the beginning of the pandemic, but not for TAVR patients at least, because the hospitals have kind of figured out what to do with those people. But there still will be an impact. Like I said, many hospitals are at or beyond their capacity, and a lot of people just don't want to go to a hospital right now
2: is it going to get better anytime soon
0: well edward said they expect things are still going in a positive direction so after this rough first quarter they think the second quarter and then into the second half of the year things will get a lot better assuming that the vaccine goes about as well as they hope it will and then Taver sales could grow more than 15 percent for all of 2021 and that's almost as good as they did in 2019 Uh, not quite as good but almost and they're sticking to that projection That the total market for these will exceed seven billion dollars by 2024 and that's what they thought before the pandemic so they're they're sticking to that that it's all going to kind of come out the same and that seems to be what most companies think for example we recently covered j&j's most recent earnings call and their device business leaders also projected that you know the next few months are going to be rough for anyone trying to schedule a surgery or an intervention but then there would be a bounce back after the vaccine starts to work and the pressure on hospitals with COVID is reduced Because not only will there be new patients coming back into the hospitals that might not have before, but all those people who had postponed a procedure during COVID are going to be trying to get in as soon as possible. So there'll be this pent up demand, as they call it. So they might be able to make up some of their lost ground and get back to where they wanted to be even before the pandemic. But like I said, with something like TAVR, delaying the procedure can be deadly. So there will still be some people who just for whatever reason cannot get in. And that is really tragic. So it's fortunate that hospitals are doing really amazing work just to kind of work around And get those people in as best they can.
2: Yes, that's a critical and often overlooked part of the COVID 19 pandemic. Thank you for all of that info, Reid. You can read these articles and a lot more right now at medtechinsight.com. Right now, we've also got Reid's story on Medtronic's new radial access catheters for brain interventions, a startup spotlight I wrote on a company called Venus trying to bring more trans catheter aortic valve technology to China, Marion's review of the latest news from ResMed, the leader in sleep technology and a lot more. And of course, we have all the latest regulatory and policy news impacting the medtech industry, including lots of news from Washington with the new administration. You can follow us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm medtech Barnaby, B-A-R-N-A-B-Y. Reid is medtech Read with two E's and Marion is medtech Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N. Thanks and have a great week.